So I was thinking about the idea that things that you're preoccupied with, you know, mm -hmm. kind of define who you are in a certain moment of time, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, so what what am I interested in right at the moment? And and I was thinking maybe we play a game of five, you know. So what's your favorite book right now that you would recommend above all other books? What's your favorite philosopher that everybody should read? What's your favorite movie right now? What's your favorite music? And let's say like a, the fifth, you know, what's your favorite kind of other artistic endeavor that you kind of engage and preoccupied with? And so I think that's very interesting because obviously it changes over time, mm -hmm. kind of interest. But also, like if you if you put it all together, it, it kind of creates a kaleidoscope and a uh, of of who you are in a, in a in a certain moment of time. And also, it's like you know, I also find this interesting. You know, mm -hmm. so where where would you put your money? Where would I put my money? Well, at the moment. My money is on Radical Kabbalah. That's what I'm reading at the moment. Mark right. Gaffney's book. Yes. And uh, it's very scholarly, uh, which is the exact opposite of his public persona. It's very interesting. Like he's 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 a very charismatic speaker and he's he's kind of has a big community and stuff. And um, but but this is extremely scholarly, but it's fun to read and it's giving me some insights. Um into uh, into religion that would be the the book i'm reading favorite philosopher at the moment philosopher at the moment uh it's always the same ones for me it's 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 nietzsche and and and, and schopenhauer and, and heidegger and i keep trying to understand hegel and i i keep failing so i keep banging away at hegel and trying to figure him out but i but i, I think i I think I, I think I'm, I'm I've failed the school of Hegel, uh, and I've also I also try to jump a little bit into um, uh, Wittgenstein, and I don't understand him at all either. Let's not be too fast. We have a, we have a complete hour to fill. So why does the book is why is the book so interesting to you that that you're reading at the moment? What is it? If you if if the, what's the core idea of that book that that propels it? For you at the to the to, to the top of the pyramid, let's say. Well, he calls it uh, he calls it uh, a cosmic humanism, uh, and he calls he's talking about sort of the, the the radical humanism of certain Jewish mystics, which differed from the uh, let's say the rabbinical tradition that were very let's say you know uh, radically individualistic in some sense in their approach uh com compared to to let's say the 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 uh the status the the status quo even to the point of breaking all the rules of of, of the torah and saying that that that, that they're that the, the rules are subordinate to 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 um the shekinah which is the holy spirit which is the feminine which is and he calls it the wisdom of solomon which so that we have you have moses we always think about moses and uh and moses as being the bedrock of a sort of jewish mysticism but then there's the, this figure of solomon who solomon is is a uh, who had you know hundreds of wives and and wrote love songs and and, and, and invites this whole aspect of 
paganism and sensuality into the temple. Uh, so it's this kind of this this hidden aspect of the traditions, which is also fascinates me in all in all kinds of ways. In, in you know not just in, in in Judaism, but also in in you know the Sufis and the Tantric mystics and but what is it Christ exactly Christian mystics in the Middle Ages? What is it exactly that fascinates me? Yeah. Uh, the uh, well, just just the the character of of some of these early rabbis in 12th century, you know, or or, or Renaissance and 12th century, the, the whole cult Kabbalistic tradition is full of these crazy wisdom masters who very much resemble what I've studied a lot with that's the, that's the Zen masters and, and the Eastern masters. And, and that there's this whole hidden tradition within Judaism that nobody knows about because everybody knows about the Torah and the laws and that they, they consider it a very sort of stuffy religion, but, but it's no, but not, not what when I'm you, asking. I'm asking what, what, is, what is igniting the fire in you for that kind of book at the moment? Like, what is it that you, you personally find in that book for you? Apart I from think I, I think it's that the language of Jewish mysticism and its extreme potency. I find it potent, like it's powerful and potent and it's just like delicious to read. Right. Does that answer your question? No. <laughs> what are you trying to get at me? What? What? What no, else? No, no, no. Because, like, okay, so why is it turning me on? Why does it excite me? Well, exactly, the wisdom yeah, of Solomon know, excites because, me. The tantric exactly. traditions excite me. All these things excite me, right? No, because, like, if I, you know, if I look at my first book on the list, right, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out why is that particularly interesting, because it enables me to do something or think something that i never thought before because it's on because it's a it's a it's a it's a uh step on the road that i'm going anyhow but the book enables me to do it right and mm -hmm. so for example um you know i was reading so much about you know uh, uh, I, I talked about this the iliad from from homer and then i was reading um the sun also rises um from hemingway and what am I reading now? The Brothers Karamazov. But you know, the, the, there's there's a thing where um, I find some justification in books for me to act in a certain way and engage in a certain way in the world and with the world to find something deeper inside of me. So I, you know, the let's say you know the the question that Tetis, the mother of Achilles, poses to him at the beginning of the book. So do you want you want like an easy life you have money you have a wife you have lots of kids you know you grow old your kids will remember you but then we, we talked about this i think no and then everybody will forget you or you will do some great famous thing but you will die with 27 and you will complicate it and so this is like a you know the the first question the book this three thousand year old book mm -hmm. poses and yeah. so it's like a so it's like a it's like a a source code of our Western culture. And so it's like all the hardships that we go through, right? It's like in a way it's because I'm I'm I for myself have decided at some point in my life not to go route A, but to go route B, like wherever it leads me, right? And so it, it gives me a justification of where I am. It's not just the prose or the way it's written or the story. It gives something mm. to me personally, 
And so that's the question I'm asking. So what well, is that? I, what, so what's, what am I grappling with, right? And what is the, yeah. the question that I'm grappling with? I think the question that I'm grappling with in exploring this is what is what is the right form of let's say religion for this moment in time uh and 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 so on one hand you have the the traditionalists you know like uh rene Genon and and they, they they're sort of they they believe they sort of see modernity as this mo movement in the into the kali yuga sort of the breakdown of everything and they 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 kind of have this they set up a a, a sort of golden age where where you know where they were all and, and that you know we're, we're just moving into fragmentation and breakdown and and i don't buy that particularly like i don't buy the the traditionalist view mm -hmm. i also don't buy this metamodernist postmodern kind of do-it-yourself new age religion either right uh, I don't buy the, the kind of like uh, just throwing away all the traditions and just making it up and doing it on your own and, you know, being very creative and cool and just like marrying science to religion and that kind of thing. And so, so I think there's, I think there's hubris on both sides and I'm trying to find the, the in-between because I, I, I'm not an atheist in the sense, I'm not like, a, like, I'm not a Richard Dawkins atheist who just believe there's only shit and stuff and, and also, but I'm not a not a pure traditionalist either, and uh, so I'm I'm always looking for 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 guys who are kind of on the edge, um, and I'm also looking for the hidden things. So the Greek traditions are well known, where everybody knows who Socrates, Aristotle, and everybody knows Dante as well, right? Uh, and and um, everybody knows the Christian and the Greek traditions. Uh -huh. But how many people know about Moses de Leon and the Zohar, which is sort of the, the Jewish equivalent to, to Dante's Inferno? Almost These are unknown, but I think they will become more known and more relevant in the 20th century because they are, they're, they're, they're written in this coded twilight language that we're still trying to understand and, and figure out. So they have a, uh, uh, they have a, a freshness to them. Uh, which, uh, which you know, allows us to. First. So this book, I think, Gaffney's book sort of marries the ancient tradition with with modern humanism in some kind of way, and it's an in between place, which is very interesting. It's like, it doesn't it doesn't take a traditionalist stance, or a postmodernist stance, or 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 a, a metamodernist stance. It's it's like right. in the middle somewhere. And so I like I, I, that's where I always situate myself. Right. Interesting. Mm. and and also it it and also and also it, it i also think the tantric traditions are very important for this time because they are there's a radicality to them which is and uh uh which is interesting so so this book's called radical kabbalah so so on the one hand i'm looking for something that it that works and it makes sense and that i'm also i'm that but that is radical enough to be powerful and and not just um not just blah blah right right okay so philosophy so you said you're like uh, oh god and with nietzsche and schopenhauer these are the the two philosophers you would you know recommend somebody right now they're the philosophers i find readable in an right. aesthetic way so so i think they're poetic in their you know how they express themselves and and you know, I'm not a full-on Schopenhauerian pessimist, but I, I enjoy his writing. He writes writes 
very well. And uh, oh, and Nietzsche is just the master of aphorisms and and uh, and so 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 again these are these are guys that I I read in my twenties and I I continued to read, and then probably in my thirties I read a lot of Heidegger so I can still go to Heidegger and and kind of um I can I can get something from Heidegger. That's so cool. Because okay, so, I, because so, I, I was thinking, I was talking to my friends about this. There's, I, I have a poetic style of mind. I don't have an analytical philosophy mind at all. I don't. I'm, I'm not interested in developing arguments for things. I'm more interested in in the in the poetic aspect of, of language. So so I, I I can I can I can swim in Heidegger. You know, it's fine. But I but I but I'm not interested in in, in the more you know analytical types of philosophers well it's interesting because i'm i, I have um the book of from schopenhauer i have is on the table here because i was like re-reading some passages and so you know he had like the idea that the whole book is supposed to be a extrapolation or like a like a like a it's like like the exploration of one idea right and so mm -hmm. how, so will becoming aware of itself basically and so hmm. and so um and it's so interesting because you find that very idea everywhere in that book in every in every paragraph in every sentence and so if you when you read the book it's highly accessible because the signal and the noise are kind of complementary so you read something and you have a precise meaning and you have like you can read it because it's like it's not it's not bloated you know, so it's like because it's like that's the problem with lots of postmodern kind of philosophies that the ideas are kind of vague and the language of, is kind of pompous. Yeah. And then you have to try to find the meaning somewhere in there. And so there's like a disconnect between between signal and noise, let's say. But in Schopenhauer's sense, and I think, you know, Nietzsche as well. And, and I very much like Sloterdijk, the German philosopher. It's like because they, they represent a kind of like a similar uh, uh, branch of philosophy. And so mm. it's very poetic, as you say, and and there's but a it's readable, oh. and yeah, there's a congruency between the transmitted idea and the way it is, um, it is, is um, described, right? And so I really like that, and I really like the idea that Schopenhauer was. I mean, he he was so influential. He, he was a, the forefather of psychoanalysis, and he he brought buddhism to the west and and so he 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 mm -hmm. instigated these kind of ideas that reverberate in system theory that you know you you can't have access to the thing itself to the world just you know our interpretations of this uh, amorphous kind of will that streams and i really like those ideas you know these kinds of things resonate with me and i really when I when I start to think, I'm you know I I really like to think about will and and all these things, and mm -hmm. constructivism and so on. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Like about the French philosophers. I mean, Foucault is pretty readable. There's one book called The Courage of Truth of Foucault that I read that I and I thought that that was a good book. That was very readable, and you know, he, he, I I could see Foucault's genius. A lot of people sort of are against Foucault at the moment. It seems. But, That's weird because uh, that book of but I, but, I, but again, I never be able to penetrate Lacan and, and Deirdre and all these guys. I, I, I just don't have, I don't have the the patience to go into that that to to learn Lacanese and Hegelese and 
all of these different, you know, because I'm occupied with other things, you know, we, we have a certain amount of time in our lives that we can spend and we can't do everything. So. Yeah, but the book of, you know, about crime from Foucault, that's a fantastic book. What is it called about crime and um, shit, what's it called? Where we look it up. Have you read about it? the uh, about the, the prisons and the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I'm crime sure and, uh, it's not crime and punishment. It's discipline and punish. Man, that's an punishment. That's an amazing yeah. book. And yeah, but I feel like he's way more on the Nietzschean side of mm -hmm, philosophy too, yeah. than on the Hegelian exactly. side. And yeah. so yeah, and and so it's, I always find that more accessible than you know. I I find you know the, the more I read, it's like the the critique of Schopenhauer of Hegel. You know, that it's just hot air. I find that I kind of see that, you know, it's, it's. Yeah. I mean, I don't really like to say that because I have so many, uh, but friends who are, who are so in love with, with Hegel at the moment. And I think, I think Zizek brought in this sort of neo Hegelianism where people are really rediscovering Hegel and getting a lot of inspiration from that. Uh, it just, it just, does it, I just haven't got there yet, so I don't know if yeah. it's my own deficiency, um, or 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 I, I I'm just a Schopenhauerian uh, by nature. Yeah, yeah. I I'm think sure they would say have, it's my deficiency. Yeah, no, but I think that's it because I think we all have you know uh, a temperament, you know, and like mm -hmm. a temperament that because I I, I don't shy away from uh, complicated literature. I'm shying away from empty words. Words that seem empty to me, but I don't think that, you know, I think there are people that find it really um, nourishing to read Hegel. And so I think there are like temperaments of philosophy, like branches. And I yeah, can see that temperament, like Schumann, I would say. Nietzsche, Foucault, and then there are, is, is Hegel and the other, other people. And then, I mean, it's like the difference between Luhmann and Habermas. Luhmann is oh. incredibly difficult to read, but it's like I... It's like it's like it goes it goes into my veins very easily. But yeah. Habermas is just it's just so tiresome, you know. Well, for and me, I I found Heidegger very nourishing too, and I everybody I know pr practically hates Heidegger. So I almost I'm shy to bring him up or talk about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But all the people in 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 the circles who I know are, are so against Heidegger that that I can't even I can't even mention him. And of course, he's he's a Nazi and all that. So. So you're not supposed to like Heidegger, but but I but I find Heidegger's hard, right? But I find that I found that nourishing to read his his text because yeah, they're yeah. they're poetic. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there's a problem with him as well, but I, I'm not trying to whitewash him. But but I but I can I can swim in he I I can't swim in in Hegelese, but I can swim in Heideggerese somehow. Yeah. It's just the waters that I that I can swim in. I I'm a tropical fish. I have my own you know, climate that I, that I appreciate and can swim in and uh, enjoy. And, and well, I mean, maybe one of the reasons me and you can talk to each other is that because we have these similar affinities, right. Um, to other philosophers, whereas, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I like Z Zizek and I've read several of his big books. I, I like him, but I don't love him, you know, Yeah. whereas other people just fall in love with Zizek. And, no, I, I love Sloterdijk really. I really love him. You know, every mm -hmm. every interview I've uh, I'm reading, every book I'm reading, it's just it's just like it's just like hot cum. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's 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 you have to find the philosopher that you love. There's no yeah. point in reading, you know. Just just you just have to to do that. It's not a question of difficulty. It's a question of affinity and and and. Uh, 
Giorgio Agamben is also great. I, I, I don't know if you've ever read him, but it, that was the book that, you know, made me understand the pandemic. Yeah, right. And, he's he's this Italian philosopher, too. He yeah, was yeah, very close amazing. to my uncle, David, uh, David Cayley. We yeah. wrote a few articles about him. We had him on on the sh on the uh, on the show a few you, times. No, you had David Cayley, but not Agamben. Yeah, yeah, we had him, but we had David Cayley, and he he spoke to uh, he he spoke he knows I can't remember his name. This Italian philosopher. Speaks, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so I learned about him through through David Cayley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is amazing. But he's like it's the same. It's like the same kind of temperament. You can see the the you know the the family of philosophers he's he's coming from. You know, mm -hmm. in, in the way he uses language, Wittgenstein as well. It's always the same. You know, it's like which which branch of philosophy do you kind of gravitate towards? You know, and mm -hmm. I... mm -hmm. so again, okay, Andrew, uh, movie. We're doing the big five. So that's a tough one because I don't really watch movies at the moment. I've I've kind of I threw my TV in the garage because I felt like I was getting too addicted to to certain series so I've, I've i've sort of i'm on a movie fast at, at the moment i haven't no, really you, seen if, anything if, if there's one movie uh, momentarily inhabiting the the opera, inhabiting my consciousness an old movie that i saw a lot of time called le Meprise by jean-luc godard with bridget bardot because right. i saw this at a certain point in my 20s before i moved to france and she was so incredibly hot in that movie to me as a young person that yeah. this image is, is just burned itself into my consciousness. And then I saw the movie again, and it was a little bit more pretentious than I remembered. But it's still a very interesting movie about, uh, I guess it's about how neurotic relationships can be uh, and and uh, and this kind of, it's, it's, it's le, le Méprise, which is just, how how love becomes contempt mm. you know and how how lovers become enemies and um so so it, it sort of encapsulates my first marriage as well like like you know i married a french woman and 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 i lived that that movie so so right. and then i i recently saw an interview with bridget bardot um and uh, and uh, and that brought that whole movie and and her back into my consciousness wow I think she might be in the top, you know, spectrum of of hot women. Somewhere. Brigitte Bardot. Oh yeah, I mean, way mm, of up there. course. Mm. More interesting to me than 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 Marilyn Monroe, and I never, I never, I was never that turned on by Marilyn Monroe, but no. Brigitte Bardot and and sort of the the French movie yes. stars from the sixties. The French movie stars from the 60s and 70s were incredible. The men and the women. They were just awesome. They were just awesome men and women archetypes. Yeah, they were yeah, yeah. so cool and so yeah. hot and had so much style. Yeah. That's gone. No, nobody, nobody's coming even close. So so why bother with bother with you know modern movies? Why why bother with you know? They're just echoes. Like Scarlett Johansson is just an echo of Bridget Bar Bardo. She, she's 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 hot, but she's just an echo of that um, power of female. Don't say nothing power. against Scarlett. Oh, Scarlett's good. I nothing against Scarlett. Scarlett's Scarlett's fine. No, but what what resonates? But she's no Bridget Bardo in my you know erotic imagination. 
what resonates uh, with me with what you're saying is you know when thinking about the question myself so the movie I always in my mind come back to is Once Upon a Time in America I love that fucking movie you know from from Sergio Leone and so mm. there, there are these archetypes these masculine and feminine archetypes and they're not victims you know it's like the the woman even even in these horrendous moments when they get raped or mistreated they you know there are these pure archetypes in a kind of way mm-hmm. and and that's so interesting you know they don't they they don't um cash in on their suffering in a kind of way and yeah and and again, in, in a way, they are even stronger than the than the male archetypes in that movie, because like Robert De Niro noodles, he's kind of escaping uh, in his opium haze from from what he's what he's done. But, you know, the masculinity and virility that that Robert De Niro kind of shows off in that movie, that's amazing. You know, it's like nowadays we kind of forget what kind of masculine image he he was able to project onto the screen you know yeah and so and then and then you have like the female i mean like from claudia cardinale she's not in that movie she's in once upon a time in a in, in the west but it's like the same it's like these because you mentioned Bardot, claudia cardinale was such an interesting female mm. um character you know and yeah well, you're so, German, so I, it was interesting that you would be attracted to the American archetypes, and that me coming from Canada and the Americas, I, I would, for me, the, the 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 most interesting ones were the Italian and the in the French. French yeah, well, Claudia uh, Cardinale is is Italian, isn't she? Claudia, Claudia Cardinale. I don't know who that is, but but anyway, yeah. You don't know who Claudia Cardinale is? Oh, that's. I'm not sure. You have to educate me. That's something I need to know. I, I suppose. Uh huh. Claudia Cardinale was amazingly beautiful. Woman. I know her. Anita, Anita Eckbert is, <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Fellini and these kind of things. Like people, the reason they can't be made anymore, those great movies, is because art has turned to ideology and you can't make great movies with ideology at all. You, you just can't do it. You, you have to get rid of the, all the moralizing and ethic, ethical concerns. And everything about the movie is about moralizing and ethical you know, and conduct and behavior and and and, yeah. and, and rules and, and so it's, it's become so decadent uh, Hollywood that it there's just nothing there. There's no there's no art anymore because because there's no there's no mystery, there's no amb- ambivalence. <laughs> you know, there's no archetypes because everybody is trying to behave in a certain way, and 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 that's the opposite of art is 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 uh, you know strictures for how to behave. Yeah. It's kind of weird because I've read some, was it yesterday? I've read about that, you know, art is supposed to uh, uh, lift us up. And now it's just, you know, to shock us and to 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 judge us. And and you kind of way that the weird thing is if, I, if I'm looking at the common thread and theme, it's like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I really like the characters, you know, in, in Hemingway's books, the you know the sun also rises, and I like the characters in Once Upon a Time in in, in America. And what I they're like, complex. The, huh? Because they're complex. Yeah, they're, they're not, not only complex, but they're kind and of deep. true archetypes. Yeah. You know, the if you look at the the character of Brad Ashley, the woman in 
the sun also rises. That is a complete and full modern woman. She takes what she wants. She's not, she's not, you know, insufferable. She's just like if she wants to, if she wants to fuck the matador, uh, then she does it, you know, and, and it's, 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 uh, you know, everybody is in love with her. And she's insufferable is a good word. Yeah. yeah she's not insufferable. Yeah. Cause no, I no, feel like most of the movie stars in, in uh, today are insufferable. That's a really good way to describe them. They're insufferable. They're yeah. plastic and insufferable. Yeah, but she, Brett, and, and she's played by Ava Gardner in that movie, which is not that good, but I mean, gets the oh, point. I like Ava Gardner. And Ava Gardner is amazing playing that character. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like that, that's a full woman. You know, you don't see that kind of woman anymore, like a complete woman in, in the height of her power, fully aware of uh, who she is and and what she can do and what she should do. It's amazing. It's such a, it's such a, you know, it's it's 50 years ago, but it, it, you know, it's like these images of man and woman. It's like how it kind of lifts us up, like how could we could be. And although it's like a, it's a drama. It's, 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 it's not a, it's not an easy book. You know, it's mm -hmm. about the lost generation. And, and, and I really like that these kinds of complete archetypes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. I agree fully. Um, it's just we're in the age of ideology, so so whatever is happening in art has to happen on the margins or in the underground, or not, nothing, nothing can touch the center because the center is so rotten and corrupt. It would appear to me. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm old and just gr grumpy about it, and there's something I'm missing. Well, you're old and grumpy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are things that I'm probably missing um, that I don't really get because the language of 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 the generation is is going, you know, like I don't get these like stupid auto tune voices, you know, mm. in, in pop songs. Yeah, they use auto tune as a kind of instrument, and not that I'm against using something in a subversive way, but then there's these weird auto tune voices that are supposed to be sexy or something, and I just think. It just falls flat for me. It doesn't doesn't do it for me. But there's probably something I'm missing because I'm I'm not in, of that generation. We 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 get our most powerful impressions at a certain age, and I think we kind of stick with them on some level. We can become yeah. flexible, and we can we can. I mean, I can get into young people's stuff. I can get into young people's pop culture to a certain extent, but I can't fall in love with them like I could. You know. Like I yeah. could, uh, I can't fall in love in the same sense that I could when I was twenty with with those, with different musical forms or or, or film or because 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 it doesn't matter to me as much. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that, you know, maybe we can move into music a bit, but yeah, 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 yeah. Because like I I was thinking about music, and so I have like what I really like, you know, what really resonates from me for me with with me with with new music. Is, is basically and what I always listen to this is like run the jewels uh, mm -hmm. uh, and and you know this Israelian artist Noga Erez and so that's like because it's not American rap that's that's it's so on the edge of what is um yeah I like her too yeah she's got a so, lot of style or something I don't really yeah, get but, the music very much. I, the music doesn't really, I'm like, what is, I always listen to it. I go, well, that's impressive, but what is that? I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's, uh, it's strange. It, it's strange to our Western, uh, 
uh, and you know American conditioned ear of what pop music and rap music is, but um, because she's from Tel Aviv, but it's it's such amazing music. I really like it. You know, and mm. the same goes for for Run the Jewels. It's just uh, that catches me somehow. Yeah, you know, and... yeah, I get you. Yeah, I'm trying to think what has caught me at, in in contemporary music, and I, I'm I'm not sure if I I, I don't know. Um, I tend to listen to a lot of old stuff just because I'm old, but and then occasionally something something new kind of gets me. But but I, I don't know what that is at the moment. I'm not sure. Um, I might have known what that was like ten years ago, but but uh, I tend to listen to a lot of silence. Like I tend to just I tend to have more appreciation for 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 having that for silence and not wanting to fill the the space with with a lot of lot of sound. But at the moment, I don't know. I go through periods where I want to listen to a lot of music and other periods where I don't. Right. But I'm like an old hippie, so I still like listening to Dead Incumbent. Like I like the whole Grateful Dead stuff because it's psychedelic, and I like psychedelic music because it takes you on a journey. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a form, it's not a, a pro, like you get sick of a record, right? Of an LP of a record that is just a bunch of pop songs. Yeah, you can't just listen to the Beatles over and over again because you've heard them all. I mean, maybe you can, but I, but. But what I like about uh, the, the psychedelic music is it's jam music or it's improvised music. So each time they play the song, it's a little different. So you have a reference point to the song, but then they remake it every time. So it's live. Right, right. Mm -hmm. uh, so so they're remaking something every time. So this is a live art, live and participatory art form rather than a product. Um, so I think like 20th century pop music was is, is very much, a lot of it was just a product. And and then you 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 go out and you you keep repeating the same product. You do the same. Um, we talked about this before. I, I love Johnny Rotten says, he says that the, the Sex Pistols reunion was like a civil civil war reenactment. It's not the right. real thing anymore. It's just a, it's a simulacrum of the of the real thing. But real art is when you're you know you're in this live space of creation in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a good description for, you know, these two that I mentioned, you know, because you can re-listen it again and again because it's so strange. And once it has your attention, you know, then then you you find you find this new thing, these no new variations and chord mm -hmm. progression or whatever. It's like, oh, that's so interesting, you know. So you 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 get engaged in this kind of thing. And um, you know, I tried, I tried, you know, the new album from Paolo Nutini, which I don't connect very well with or Lana Del Rey or those kind of things. But in the There's end, one the Lana day, Del Rey album that I like, just one of them, one of them yeah. really got me because it was so well produced. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find she's, she, she's, she, yeah, she can, she, I think she has one good album. That's how I see her. I could be wrong. And Lana Del Rey fans might, but might be pissed off at me for saying that. But uh, I think she got it right on that album called uh, of Rockefeller. What's it called? Uh, Norman fucking Rockwell. No, I think she got it just right on that album because I can listen to that album and and that's Lana Del Rey and she got it right there. Right. And then the rest of her albums are sort of they're too sloppy, you know. There's too many songs and she's going in too many directions and and it's the same sensual, sexy voice, but it, it's sort of it's sloppy. Mm. But in that album, she had a good producer, and so that's like for me, that's a good pop album, Lana Del Rey. Right. That's one modern 
one album that I found I found um I found listenable as right. a pop record. Right. I mean I'm I'm I wasn't quite honest when I was saying once upon a time in America as a movie because like if we look at new movies the last mo new movie that kind of resonated with me a lot was the Quentin Tarantino one you know once upon a time in in Hollywood because you know the way he mm -hmm. and, and so it's like yeah. so and so Noga Eris Run the Jewels uh, uh once upon a time in in Hollywood these kind of inhabit the kind of same space for me you know yeah. in terms of modern uh modern artifacts let's say well you know? he's from the 90s and he's kind of doing the same thing so so he's still good right he still makes good he's still he's still coherent yes. tarantino yes. i would say he's still yeah, coherent yeah. and he still has a coherent language of film he's not trying to please anybody or or and he's still being edgy and and and, and all that you know they're probably trying to cancel him but uh but I think he's still a genuine filmmaker and there's a few guys out there who are still doing it. But I always yeah. think that that even that movie, yeah, it's not a movie of now. It's a movie from the nineties style of film when, when movies were, when there were movies like fight club or, you know, when there are really strong movies that, out there that, that were really, uh, you know, still speaking to the culture. Right. I don't know if there are movies like that anymore. I, I don't know if there are movies that are speaking to the culture so much. And again, I'm probably just being um, like, I, I guess Avatar is supposed to be speaking to the culture and it's kind of beautiful special effects and mm. maybe a little empty. I mean, Dune um, was beautiful as a oh, movie. Oh, Dune was beautiful. Yeah, so, Dune was good. I mean, he's a good but, filmmaker for sure. But it isn't, thematically, it was, you know, not, it was a great cinematic experience, but it didn't, didn't give me personally that much to think about you know there, yeah. like, there are other movies that are that are so strange like there's like the a movie from brendan cronenberg the son of you know the other one the, uh, you know and it's called infinity pool with with the son of stellan stars no i, I didn't what. see that that's a that's a, a an absolutely strange and super interesting movie um yeah. infinity pool so yeah uh, well, that's an interesting an point. You use the word strange a lot, right? And yeah. I think I think that the the archetypes are not platonic ideals that are easily recognizable in some kind of ways. Like this is that, and this is that, and you can just put them into a box. Yeah, they're incredibly strange. So, so the best movies, the best pieces of art, are, are the ones that just you know they they cut off your uh, your you cut your you know David Lynch does that a lot. He just cuts oh, yeah. off mm, your true. your your intellectual your 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 analytical capacities it's just like it's a big gap it's like, what the fuck yeah, yeah 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 that is so unbelievably strange and that's i think that's when art is 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 interesting i mean the third season of 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 you no know, the second or third third season of twin peaks that's still one of the of the seasons that are very high on my list of yeah that kind of made me that moved me and to to strange places and brought me to very strange places in my own psyche. Have you seen that that season? No, I never, I never, I never, I never made it through the. I never, yeah, because I'm not in. I'm not as in love with Lynch as some people are. He's he's a little bit too. Um. Yeah, I, I get, I get 
that he's a great filmmaker. Um, and and he he does he brings you to strange places. Yeah, it's just it's just not my. It's not not it's not. Maybe there's not enough pleasure in watching his stuff for me. I think there has to be a, also a pleasure principle. Yeah, I don't know. I I I, th I said I, I think I th said that before that Lynch is the only one who can truly frighten me. It's like oh yeah, watch... he's scary as hell. I agree. With so you when I watch like Firewalk with me, I can't sleep mm -hmm. anymore because that is such a strange, violent, psychologically violent movie. And yeah. then you have and and then the third third season of Twin Peaks. It's just or you know the idea of Bob. You know uh -huh. that's that's. I don't know. He frames it in a way that's oh, that's so creepy, man. I I really can't sleep now. Have you it's seen like, Kingdom by Lars von Trier? That no. is fucking scary. Kingdom? No, I haven't. That's Lars von Trier's TV show before he became. I find him extremely disturbing as well. Don't right. you? Didn't you find Breaking the Waves? Not Breaking the Waves, uh, like uh, the Antichrist. And did you see those movies? Those yeah, Lars von Trier it, movies. It, yeah, but it doesn't frighten me psychologically. It doesn't frighten you psychologically? No. It gets under my skin. Um, I, it does frighten me. I think Kingdom is especially, the, the TV series he did. I guess he's he's very similar. He's like the European David Lynch. Yeah. He, he started off with a TV series about kind of a ghost story in a hospital. I haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. That's worth seeing if you want, if you really want to, you know, get some bone chill, you know, some. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, those guys are scary filmmakers, but yeah. Well, I think you know, art, art, it's it's a combination of archetypal and the strange. That's what I'm getting from this conversation. That's why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's 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 keep let's keep it going. So, okay, so the big five, the the last one, the the fifth. So, if you have to choose any artistic endeavor that's kind of resonating with you right now, apart from that. What we already talked about so like what is there something that you know is on your radar that kind of moves you and and exerts this kind of strange attraction that leads you to think about differently about yourself and the world and you know like this kind of strangeness that we are talking about um well again i, I i've been i've been interested in alejandro judorowski recently right um oh, yeah, he writes about yeah, the tarot not just the tarot, uh, his his ideas of psychomagic, and I watched a, a documentary about how he does psychotherapy. And I don't think he would be allowed to do what he does today, uh, because some of the things he does are are so, are so radical. You know, he, he gets yeah. women to paint their menstrual blood on a canvas and 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 shit and do things like this. Like, but at the same time, very very, I think, or 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 or. Or 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 like uh, what what would he what would he do? Uh, he he'd sort of like you know he'd, he'd tell a person to paint themselves gold and and uh, and and wear a bathing suit and and go go and 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 walk down the Champs Elysees. You know he get people to do very theatrical, bizarre things to cure their their neurosis. Right, and I think I think it's he's he's he, I think it's he's very it was very effective, and he would do that on an individual level, but he'd also do that on a collective level. Right, so he'd do that in in big he make he do these psychomagic social events. For example, in Mexico, um, there was like thirty thousand people killed in the drug 
trade. And what he did is he, he would he'd get all these people to dress up like skeletons and, and walk through Mexico singing this song of the mourning for a mother for her dead son. And uh, he, did, he does things like that. And it's not direct political uh, 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 action in a sense, but I think that's the way that politics, I, in a way that's politics and art that I think he's, I think that's, the, that's, that's the way activism should be rather than just this whiny complaining about the patriarchy or whatever that m most people do. He, he, he would, he, he does these theat big group theatrical movements and, and they're very powerful and aesthetic and interesting and, so uh so I think he was a very uh and, and and instead of psychotherapy because psychotherapy he calls it psychomagic like psychotherapy is just blah 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 you talk about your your father and your mother right and, and your brothers and sisters what he does and I have direct experience of this because he used to give tarot readings in in cafes in Paris for free he didn't believe in charging money and I, I didn't meet him personally my wife did <laughs> But I met his assistant who was doing the same thing as his student. And I went into there and and, and he gave a, a tarot reading in, in this cafe in sort of Paris. And, uh, he, you know, he, he would give people like little things, psychomagic exercises to do. Look at the cards and say, like, you got a problem with your mother. So what you right. should do is you should, you should, you should, you should, um, or he's, this is what he did to, to somebody I, I know, I won't mention who he said, um, you know, your mother wanted a, a boy. So what you should do is, you know, get boys clothing, put it in a package, you know, uh, no, put on boys clothing, walk around for a day in Paris wearing boys clothing because your mother wanted a boy and then take that clothing and, and mail it to your mother. Uh-huh. And this, this would cure you of your neurosis because you, um, because your mother, you know, oh, well, interesting. looked yes. down at you and thought you were you wanted to be a, and these are very effective things uh, that yeah. he, that that he does. They're extremely effective, um, and it's a kind of psychotherapy that 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 uh, I, I I don't think people know enough about Jodorowsky and what he did. Uh, also, he he completely redid the tarot, and I think he, it, it, in this beautiful way. And people, in, he's unknown. He's mostly known in France, but he's he's an unknown uh, genius of of uh, you know psychotherapy, verging on spirituality. I wouldn't Whoa. say he's a great sort of like spiritual master, but I would say he was a great artist and um, artist and humanist and. He had a lot of really cool ideas. So I'm, you know, I've been interested in him at the moment. I mean, the documentary about Hodorowsky's Dune, that's an amazing documentary. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tried to make that movie. And also his documentary on Psychomagic, you should watch that as well. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's resonating with me, it's like when you said it's, it's a psychotherapy, but not only um, individually, but collectively, right? Yeah. And so... You know, for me, it's um, this. This this is a space where, where I always look for uh, into comedy right now, because mm -hmm. um, because you know when you look at you know, I always think about so so art is going through stages as well. You have like postmodern art, you have modern art and and stuff and and architecture. And so I, I try to I try to look at if if there is some form of of meta modern comedy. 
you know, a comedy that's kind of on the edge, that's so strange at the moment that, you know, it catches our attention and kind of liberates us from our preconception and our neurosis in a kind of way. And so there's this show that I'm really infatuated with, basically. It's called, you know, the Adam Friedland show. And it's like these two guys, and it's it's come from, you know, it's developed out of a comedy show called Come Town. And it's Come just Town, like, yeah, you told me yeah, about yeah, it's that. just like left, left. I mean, like three guys that, you know, are known. They're part of this Brooklyn socialist group, you know, with Chapo Trap House, very left leaning. But because they are so left leaning, they have the ability to hijack all these woke identity politics kind of notions. And and their shows, you know, their, their come tone shows mostly verge on homophobia, racism and all of it. But they can, crit they, they kind of criticizing it, you know, from a leftist perspective, which is kind of interesting um, because they are le lefty. And so out of that yeah. developed, you know, the Adam Friedland show. And it's interesting because it developed as a bit, but then it kind of got serious. And you you never know if it's if it's if it's a joke, or if it's if it's meant serious. But it's a really good. Now it's a kind of online YouTube television show. It's really funny. So they had like um, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, on on the show last week, and they, I mean, it's it's just hilarious to see. Uh, those kind of people interact with Neil deGrasse. So what it does to Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, because he completely leaves his persona and becomes a nerd. And it's so funny to see, really. And and so it's like, because it's such a healing um, and and releasing kind of way of doing comedy that's that I really find really refreshing. Hmm. Well, maybe there. that's nice that there's something edgy going on in the left because yeah. because the left has been so bloody i don't know not the left you know not not the the the, the voice of dissent anymore it's it's never the voice of dissent the left anymore it's always the voice of the status quo so so it'd be good if we have some proper edgy lefties out there yeah yeah because you can't the, the problem is if you want to look for societal progress you have to look to the left but yeah. you can't you know, you can't be uh, from the right and critiquing the left because that that's just, you know, that is, that is not going anywhere. So you need mm -hmm. voices from the left that are critiquing the left ways because then yeah. they're like surpassing the, the uh, you know, the, the natural immune response that is coming, that is there when it comes from the right. And so, mm -hmm. and so you know, these... That's what George Orwell did, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was always criticizing the left, but at the same time, he was uh, he was all you know he was a leftist, right? Hmm. And so and and so it's it's and and apart from that, it's just hilarious comedy podcast, you know. So, hmm. but it, it it's 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 just funny because it it plays with these. It's 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 not. It's I think it's 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 one of the only kind of meta modern actually meta modern kind of podcasts because it 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 plays with sincere irony and and all these kinds of things and, and it's very funny hmm. and so I think Nick Mullen the the producer he's one of the most influential comics there is at the moment oh really mm -hmm. oh I'll have to check that out yeah yeah I think comedy is again yeah it's an important release valve for the culture. 
Well, what what you made me think of is is you know we were on the on the IDW. There was a lot of talk about tr- transgenderism, right? Yeah. And, and I I had an interview with with Tammy Peterson, and yeah. of course her and 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 and, uh, and Jordan are are very, you know, they have they have conservative views, um, obviously, and you know I can see some logic in the conservative view sometimes, right? Like for example, like transgender people teaching transgenderism to to primary school i think that that's like transgenderism should be on an edgy radical creative realm transgenderism i think it always has been and when it tries to be the center uh I, i think that's when that's when it gets kind of gets kind of complex like oh that's interesting yes Mm. so i think the edge trying to be the center is one of the biggest problems we have today so rather than it be about art and edginess kind of what we're talking about in in terms of film right you know film film is about art is about edginess it's not about morality so so when it becomes a when it becomes a a psychological issue when it becomes a therapeutic issue when it becomes a an issue where where we're, we're always trying to normalize the edge, um, then something gets lost there. Uh, uh, so I, I don't want I don't want to take the, the the conservative position of like okay, you know, because I anyway I have no skin in the game, so I'm not going to give you know opinions about all you know what, what surgeries and and drugs and I, I have no you know I don't want to give an opinion on, on that because I again I have no no skin in the game, but. But I, but I, but I, but I, the only thing is like the, when the edge tries to be the center, uh, that's, I think one of the big problems we're having in all of these realms, realms today is that uh, we're trying to put the edge at the center and it never works because the center is always filled with the, the managerial types who run the world and they're kind of boring and, you know, they're not artists and, and, but they, but they, they're good at running businesses and governments and, uh, and companies and you know they're not fun <laughs> necessarily they're not attractive but you kind of want the boring people in, in charge but isn't that anyway, always that's... like the case if you look at culture cultural theory and art theory that you always have the avant-garde and you have the center and it's always there's always uh this move from the you know from the of content from the avant-garde in, into the center so yeah. that's like that's like that's the normal way of doing it. And in, in a way, we want that to happen. We want people to be more aware that gender and identity is more of a social construct than we think it is. Yeah, I agree with that. People... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. But also, we also don't want to lose the the artistic edge to those activities which, you know, which are, are, are verge on the sublime and the monstrous and and and... Right, we don't want it. We don't gentrify them all and make them all safe. It's like sexuality is not safe. Sexuality is 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 what everybody does, but it's but it but so so I can I can see the moral panic of the conservatives why they would why they would feel that, that way, even though I don't have those views. And it's true that what happens is, you know, like gay marriage, for example, it's like. This was this was a this was a wildly edgy idea twenty years ago, and now all the conservatives accept it, right? Because because it's it's moved to the center, and that's great. That's called social progress, right? 
uh, it happens through legislation slowly, and then and then suddenly we gay people can get married. Hallelujah! Great, fantastic, wonderful. But and the conservatives at the time are you know are in this state of moral panic, just like they are today about about transgenderism. Um, you know, so so I, I'm saying that what I'm saying is like how do we how do we keep the edge? um without making the edge bland without making the trying to move the edge to the center because the edge should okay. be on the edge always okay. so and the center things. should be in the center two two things first of all i think it's a you know that that i i don't think that transgenderism and i completely agree is at the edge right now it's it, it in itself it has moved to the center right and so it's like this topic but does it belong there no, no, i mean yeah of course like everything you know, hmm. and but on the other side, um, as long as there as there is a center, there will be an edge. So you can't think the one without the other. It's like it's always. And so there is an edge. And so if you I think like somebody like Nick Mullen from Adam Friedland show or Noga Erdeth, they are way more at the edge than transgenderism in itself, because like at the edge, there are things kind, kind of popping up, you know, new things that we don't have cat category uh, um, categories yet to to put mm -hmm. into yeah and so as long as there's a center there will be an edge we just have to look at where it is uh -huh. you know? oh i see so the edge is always kind of moving the edge and the center are always moving basically um, yeah exactly the edge and the center are always kind of moving around well that makes sense yeah yeah but i but on the other hand this transgenderism of noah what is her name again noga erith noga erith she, yeah, she kind of has a transgender quality because she wears men's suits and 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 you know she mixes the the she mixes she mix there's a mix of sexuality right. So I'm saying that you, you, what you're saying is true, but but she's there's always a transgender aspect to art uh, in the, on the edges. I would say David Bowie, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's you know David Bowie doesn't get to be in the center. He's not in the parliament. He's not going to be a president. Oh, <laughs> you know, oh, I see it now. That's so interesting what you say because Noga Erdes is the mirror image of David Bowie. Exactly. Yeah, so female true. David Bowie. She wears suits yeah, she's like, like him. A, she's like exactly the opposite. She's like, uh, you know, her music style is 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 com com complementary to David Bowie's. I see that now. That's so interesting. Hmm. And her, her style and everything. Wow, interesting. Thank you, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the suits and then the David Byrne stuff. And what, what I'm saying is, like, I think there's always a transgender quality to, to art because it's yeah, 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 yeah. it's the mixture of it's playing with 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 uh, the forms and the archetypes and mixing them together in, in creative ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think I, I don't know if that's that should be in the center. Uh, I don't think I don't th I think I don't think the artist should be the, the spokesman for for you know politics or 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 business or. Yeah, but what I let me let me say something because like I was watching a David Bowie interview like a couple of days ago, and he was talking about the difference between the Beatles and let's say somebody like Velvet Underground, and mm -hmm. he says Velvet Underground like in our words he was they were way more at the edge. Oh but yeah. The music, but the music nobody plays. Penny Lane anymore, you know that kind of style of music. So what the mu music of the of the '90s were, they were way more like like the Velvet Underground than they were the Beatles, because like the music from the '90s that were it was not Beatles music, it was Velvet Underground music. That style, that edgy, that kind of kind of way of doing music. 
There's and a I, darkness to it. I like going in the dark, going in the unconscious. And yeah, I, I well, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, and so that, that was, you know, and Velvet Underground was way more at the edge and way more influential, like music wise, than it mm -hmm. was like in actuality than, than the Beatles were. And I found that th that's this comment of David Bowie I found super interesting because that's what these people at the edges, at the margins, you know, at the at the edge of chaos, to use that word, what they're doing, they're, they're creating new forms that kind of informing everything that's rushing into the center, into the mainstream, because mm -hmm. they're, they're like creating the context and the new informations that, that kind of bubbling up. Yeah. But so when, when it becomes a mainstream, then it dies. And then and then, uh, on, on some level, it doesn't it loses its vi vitality. Right. When it becomes when it becomes mainstream, and then and then and then you have to go to the edges edges again. Uh huh. So mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. And the edges are always filled with the monstrous and the scary and and the the dangerous. Yeah, but also you know, they're, they're not safe spaces. It's like that, just like the edge of a cathedral of Notre Dame. It's full of gargoyles, right? Yeah, but it's, it's not, not a, only negative. It's only it's also. I didn't like, say it was negative. No, no. The words you're using, like like scary and so no, but it's also like ecstatic. Because there's when when the ecstasy comes rushing in, it's like oh, that that excites me so much. It moves my whole body, it moves my whole soul and my whole mind. It's like oh, that's that's new and great, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's exciting and sub the sublime. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying the sublime and the monstrous are close, but I'm right. not I'm not denying the sublime and the monstrous, the angel and the monster or whatever. It's like they're they're close. They're 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 very close to each other. Right. So we shouldn't make them we shouldn't make them safe and they'll never be safe and they'll always be a danger and that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's not we're not supposed to uh uh have the Rocky Horror Picture Show in the parliament, you know, <laughs> so to speak. I want to um, read you something because I got a newsletter from Chris Ryan. Right? Do you know Christopher Ryan? No. That's a guy from, you know, uh, 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 Sex at Dawn and Civilized to Death. Great. And he has a great podcast, Tangentially Speaking. And so the it's a, from a transcript of a thing about how to live longer by slowing time. So and the transcript goes, like, I was thinking about like how it journeys seem to take longer when you're not sure where you're going. The journey back always seems so much shorter. When you know where you're going, then you're not focused on the uncertainty of it. You're not wondering where it is. You're not wondering how much further it's going to be. You know how much further it's going to be, and so you don't think about it, and it ends up taking so much less time. And then I was applying that idea to life and the travel years and the years now where I'm doing the same thing every day. I talked about that before, how this idea that when there's a lot of variety and surprise and unexpected elements in your life, that life seems to take longer. It seems to last longer because time really is a measure of change. And so if there's nothing really changing in any tangible way in your life, it, it sort of seems like time stops in a way. But you're still aging. You're not feeling, you're not feeling it the same, you know. And so the mm. idea that the farther you go to the margins and to the new novelty and the newest, the, you know, time elongates, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the, the more you move into the center and you're repeating the same thing, then 
then you kind of stop and every day seems the same and suddenly five months are gone or eight months are gone or five years are gone yeah. and so so and so that's what art should do it should push you at the margins where time kind of elongates and you start to live again oh that's nice yeah that ex it's an expansion of time you know expansion of the present in a way right like or the bending of time it's like the the, the clock in salvador dali's painting which is 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 drooped over the time is just sort of bends and expands and dissolves and, and breaks and, yeah. and mm -hmm. yeah 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 